0: Oh hi, Proudly Resents. This is Phil Haldeman from The Room. I played a strange young man named Denny. Keep watching the podcast.
1: Hey man, welcome to Proudly Resents, the podcast about the best movies you don't know you wanted to see. I'm your host Adam Spiegelman. Before we get into our interview with Rick Harper, director of Room Full of Spoons, a documentary about the great movie The Room. Be sure to check out proudlyresents.com slash shirts, where you can find countless busted tees and some hilarious Tommy Wiseau and Room t-shirts, proudlyresents.com slash shirts. Rick, that's how I do a live read. And just remember, you can hear all the interviews of other filmmakers and actors on the podcast feed, proudly Resents interviews, and proudly Resents The Room with other Room stories. But Rick Harper is the... Guy to go to about the room. I think you. No one knows more about it than you. You're obsessed, like so many of us, but you've took it to a twenty millionth degree. They call the room the Citizen Kane of bad movies. This movie is about a guy who is betrayed by his best friend and is not fiance but future wife, and it turns out the story behind the movie is even more fascinating. So, Rick, you spent over five years and a hundred thousand dollars of your own money to make the definitive document on the room. Uh, Rick, thank you for coming on the show.
0: Oh, thanks a lot, Adam.
1: It's so uh, we've been trying to do this for a while, so it's it's a real pleasure. Give us any background on the room. How did you
0: discover it? Yeah, well, how I discovered the room was, uh, I, I guess, sort of like everybody else. You know, um, you know, a, a friend had told me about it, and you know, I thought it was really weird how I'd never heard about this before. I've always considered myself to be a real film geek. I like all types of, you know, foreign films and weird films, and I'm usually really up on the stuff that um, that people haven't heard of or aren't you know that isn't really mainstream and when I heard about this movie uh, The Room and it was called you know the Citizen Citizen Kane of Bad Films and uh, the worst movie ever made and and people are throwing spoons and it sort of reminded me of when uh, people would tell me about their experiences um, at the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show you know I'd never really been to the Rocky Horror Picture Show I never really experienced a cult film like that so I said hey I have to check this thing out not really expecting uh, to get much out of it but uh, it ended up kind of taking over my life in a in an awesome but uh, equally s- sad kind of way. But uh, of course it was the most, one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. You know, some people call it the worst movie ever made, other people, you know, some fans might call it the best movie ever made, but the general consensus is that it really is the, the most fascinating film ever made. Uh, it's known for uh, all of its uh, inadequacies, um, you know, and also the, all the crazy stories behind uh, how it sort of came to be.
1: Well, what grabbed you about the movie?
0: really everything about it is is really amazing you know you hear the expression a lot people saying um you know it's like watching a train wreck or you know it's like when you drive by a car crash and you, you just can't help but look but this car car crash lasts like 99 minutes long you know this movie was <laughs> <laughs> it was it was produced written kind of directed and we can get into that later oh okay, god i'd love to talk about that absolutely and we will um, you know, starring, uh, financed all by, you know, by the same guy, Tommy Wiseau. And he's a really interesting character. He's not a particularly good actor, but for some reason, you just can't take your eyes off of him. You know, everything in the movie is 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 wrong. There's everything, you know, any, every possible mistake you could ever make while making a movie happens during this movie, whether it's intentional or not. There's like a TV set
1: facing the wrong direction. Like,
0: w- w- why is that? There's a TV right behind the couch, like where people sit. Right, right behind the couch is a TV that no one, no matter how you're sitting in that room, no one could possibly watch that TV. Stuff like that, right. you know? If you were to read through the script, you would swear that every character is the same person because they all talk the same, they all act the same. They, they All the dialogue is written, obviously, by Tommy Wiseau, and everyone talks like Tommy Wiseau. It's, uh, I, I could go on forever about the things wrong with this movie.
1: What is great is, and I talk about this a lot on the show, Tommy's not a native English speaker, so they're all speaking pretty much his version of English, you know, that he learned three years ago.
0: Exactly. So like you mentioned earlier, it's like instead of saying, using the word fiancé, no one in the entire movie says fiancé, but they all say future wife. Um, you know, whenever a character walks into a room, instead of, you know, w- whenever they greet them or say, oh, hey, what's going on? How are you? Everyone says, oh, hi. Every single character will say, oh, hi. Probably a hundred times throughout the movie, you'll hear, oh, hi. Other examples, like when, uh, f- for some reason, they like calling each other chicken a lot in the movie. And instead of going like, "bok bok or like, like we would, you know, everyone says, cheap, 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 cheap. All these different, like, sort of habits of Tommy, Ended up in the script, and every character is uh, the, every every character is, is the same. I'm not
1: going to give away the the ending of your movie, but you find out where the cheap, cheap, cheap comes from and and everything like that because he never wants to reveal where he's from, and you find out like CSI. It you you bust the case wide open and go to his home country and talk to
0: you talk to a relative, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've even hung out with Tommy and anyone who sees him, who's seen an interview or heard him talk before or met him or has even seen the room knows that he can't possibly be, you know, have been born in America. He has his thick, you know, distinctive uh, Eastern European accent. But whenever anyone has ever asked him where he's from, he'll always say, oh, I'm from New Orleans. I'm American. And he'll never, ever admit that he's European. But it's like, you just know that he's not uh, American, right? So, not to say he's not American, but he wasn't born in America. Like, it's, it's clear. So, uh, yeah, so I, I you know, in a weird way, I kind of made it my mission to figure out where he's from and just bring some definitive proof. There's, you know, been all types of, you know, different debates online and stuff like that. People saying, oh, I think he's from France because he doesn't want to say the word fiance because that's French and all these different kind of theories and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? Let's really get down to the bottom of it. So, uh, you know, I, I did a. I can't say a little digging. I did a lot of digging, and uh, and found out where he's from, and decided. You know what? Without any real plan, uh, I got my crew together, and, and we flew to Europe, and I just tried to figure it out. Which uh, which we definitely did. Your film is so dense with so many different things. You talked to almost
1: every. You talked to ninety nine percent of the people from the movie. Was there general consensus from the actors? Like, how do they feel now that they their movie they were in fifteen years ago is Considered the best worst movie ever.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, early on when I was trying to get a hold of all the actors, a few of them responded immediately, and you know wanted to be on board with the project. And then others were uh, were a little bit harder to uh, to to get a hold of. You know, but after speaking to uh, at least all the main actors in the film, they really embraced the little bit of fame that they did get. You know, acting in the room. Uh, none of them went on to have any type of incredible acting careers. They're all successful in their own way. I mean, uh, you know, Phil Haldeman is a successful reporter in um, Arizona. And, uh, you know, Dan Janjigian, uh, who played uh, Chris R., he works in finance. is extremely successful. Like, so they they all have uh, legitimate careers. But as far as acting goes, you know, I think The Room may have possibly been the highlight of, uh, of, of a lot of their careers and uh and it's cool that they were able to to get a, at least a little bit of of taste of you know Hollywood fame and being recognized in the streets and having fans and stuff like that so they they really do embrace it and a, a cool thing too is that in talking to uh pretty much all the actors uh, I realized that they were sort of like the first wave of room fans because they were there while it was happening. So it's not just like a retrospective thing where, you know, you watch The Room and you realize, oh my god, that was kind of crazy, right? Or that was kind of silly. Like, while they were making the movie, they knew how friggin' weird it was and how eccentric Tommy was. And they knew that he didn't really know what he was doing. But, you know, it was it was good money and it was experience and, and stuff like that. So they did it. But, you know, I think even in a lot of ways, some of the things that are that come across on the screen like is just a product of them knowing they were making a shitty movie and not really caring so wait how many, did they get paid real money to do this they sure did they sure did uh i don't know how much or, or anything like that i mean it was a a non-union project but uh according to everyone they got paid and they got paid very well that's amazing well they say the budget's six million do you believe that Uh, I do, because after talking to everyone and and how much they were being paid and how many people got fired and how many sets were destroyed and then just rebuilt, instead of shooting all the scenes on the rooftop in the same day, they would shoot on the rooftop, destroy the set, and then three days later say, oh yeah, we need a rooftop again, and they'd have to rebuild the entire thing. Uh, You know, Tommy didn't rent his cameras, he bought everything, which is ridiculous, because we all know that you know, camera like cameras and video equipment and stuff like that, it, it goes obsolete, like within maybe six months. So, you know, he, I think on the first day of shooting, he went out and bought like a million dollars worth of equipment, something like that. So he was very green. And as a filmmaker didn't necessarily make the wisest choices. And and you know, those types of choices can, can be very expensive. So yeah, $6 million. Uh, I mean, I just made a, a small documentary that the uh, that uh you know uh, when i first set out to do this i didn't think it was going to cost what it did but you know you realize how expensive uh, every little thing is so when you're working on a film with a lot of actors and stuff like that six million dollars that, that can you can go through that pretty quickly if you don't know what you're doing that's amazing
1: one of the actors you talked to i guess it was the hardest guy to find was that the i don't even know his name the guy who gets caught making out with the girl
0: by the mom yeah so his character is mike and his real name is scott holmes so scott uh scott i was really lucky to to get scott holmes in the film uh you can google as far as you want and look on youtube and you he's completely off the radar you will not find scott holmes uh i was really lucky i was in la and uh i met this documentary editor named george gross and really cool guy we just met at a a sushi bar and i met him through a, a mutual friend and uh you know he was into what we were doing and so on he had his own experiences with tommy and he's like you know I used to uh, I used to improv with Scott Holmes when, um, back in Brooklyn. So he said, "Look, let me just give you his number and just try him out." He's like it was a couple years ago, but here, here's a number. So uh, you know, a couple weeks later, I, I just tried it out. I just sent him a text, and I'm like, "Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Uh, do you want to meet up?" And he called me back right away, and uh, he's like, "Hey, it's really cool what you're doing." Uh, he's like, "Yeah, George is a good guy." He said, "I live in uh, in DC now." So he said, you know, for for a couple different reasons, like I I almost have to say no, because his job is really sensitive and I can't really get into that. But, you know, I guess the fact that he works in D.C. was sort of given indication. But uh, he said, you know, because of my job, I really shouldn't be doing stuff like this and whatever. So I was like, look, man, I'm like, just say yes and I'll drive to D.C. Now, I'm in Ottawa, Canada. That's not next door all right and i said just say the word and i'll drive to dc just to interview you for a couple hours and he's like look if if you're gonna put that kind of effort in he's like i have a hard time saying no to you so uh you know my crew and i got together drove to dc uh met with scott Holmes, super cool guy gave a great and hilarious interview and then fell right off the radar again and i haven't really heard from him since
1: besides the job or maybe it's just a job was there any other reason why he doesn't want to be associated with the film
0: no, he he had a, a good time with it and he thinks it's fun to laugh at and stuff like that, but I think he's just truly really dedicated to his job and he said that uh you know a- acknowledging sort of his past might compromise, you know, his his position or something like that. So, something to that effect. I don't know all the details exactly, but um but he was cool enough to do this for us, but I I wouldn't expect um him to uh to, to give many interviews like that.
1: It seemed like Tommy Wise though that Like the main important person Was involved in your documentary in the beginning What happened?
0: Yeah, so Tommy was involved in the very Very early stages of the documentary We had met um, About a year after I started seeing the room The theater where I go to um, Decided to uh, throw an event And uh, and, and have Tommy present So I decided to sponsor the event Which was really just my way of getting to hang out with Tommy You know, I didn't at the time Really have any idea of doing a documentary Anything like that Uh, So I ended up meeting Tommy. He was uh, a pretty cool guy, and we really got along. And, you know, I helped him sell him merchandise and stuff like that. And then, uh, so then from there, you know, I I guess we really got along. So he said, uh, all right, we'll come to Toronto with us, and we can do the same thing. You can help us sell merchandise, and I'll pay for your travel and stuff like that. So, you know, while I didn't really... Uh, I wasn't really making any money or anything like that. It was just a fun thing to do. Like I'm hanging out with a guy that I've been watching on the big screen for the past year. You know, that's that's you know every sort of film nerd's dream, right? So, um, after like the third or fourth night of doing that, uh, I just sat him down. I said, "Hey, look, like I, I have this idea. You know, uh, I've always wanted to make movies." I said, uh, "You know, this is like in 09, uh, I believe, so or '9 or, or like 2010." And this is before the disaster artists and James Franco and all this craziness, right? So at the time, I really thought that, you know what, this this room thing is, uh, is maybe at its peak. It's always the same fans at screenings and stuff like that. We really need to help bring this to the mainstream and, and help a whole new audience see this thing. I was like, why don't we do a documentary? I had just seen uh, the film Best Worst Movie. Uh, which is a similar documentary about Troll 2. And I really enjoyed that. And it helped sort of bring Troll 2 to the mainstream and, and, you know, stuff like that. So he was, his first re- reaction was like, no, I don't want to do Best Worst Movie. They're just trying to be the room. I have Worst Movie. <laughs> which is a, <laughs> fantastic. a, a hilarious reaction, right? So then I immediately switched my pitch. I'm like, no, fuck Best Worst Movie. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, but we just need to do something, you know, promotional for the room and uh, to to help you know bring it to a wider audience and that was absolutely my intention at the time is interview fans and show everyone how crazy this thing is and and stuff like that so he was all on board he thought that was great uh he was like all right we'll start next month um just meet me in uh, in new york city so from there things really got weird he had asked me to uh, to do some, you know, online marketing forum and selling DVDs in Canada, and he wanted me to approach different retailers and bring the room to different cities. Like nothing I had signed up for, but I was like, you know what? Just to sort of keep him happy so that I can get my documentary done. You know, I'll uh, I'll agree to doing all of this stuff. Uh, nothing that was making me any money or that I really even enjoyed doing, but it's it's one of those things, right? Like you meet. You know, you're a fan of somebody and then that somebody's gonna that somebody's gonna ask you to do something, you're not gonna say no because you wanna stay in their good books, like, you know? So, um, so then our relationship became more about me doing stuff like that for him, and less and less about doing this documentary, and then we got to New York and it was really weird, like he just treated me like a fan and almost pretended like he didn't know who I was and he was totally avoiding me and it was a really, really awkward situation. So I was, you know, faced with a choice. I could either be discouraged and abandon everything or I could just take the project into my own hands and really do it the way that I want to do it. I've never really been known to uh, to be a quitter. So here we are, you know, five years later, six years later now. And uh, and we, we have, uh, you know, quite a complete documentary.
1: You also talk about the, the Tommy backlash to the movie, even before the movie came out. He made these weird videos, like propaganda videos, it feels like like campaign you know commercials yeah and he's just saying how you shouldn't watch your movie and what was his complaint and and i guess you got letters from lawyers legal letters from him what was that about
0: yeah it it got a little bit out of control like i, I knew that he would you know maybe not be super happy with the with the documentary or you know or that he would have some concern when it com- when it came out i should say but, um, but yeah, as soon as we started promoting the film, like, w- once it was actually complete and we started, you know, trying to get into festivals and sending screeners to, you know, people for review and stuff like that, uh, you know, we started getting all of this backlash on, on Twitter and on Facebook and he was calling me a liar and a bully. This is Now, you have to keep in mind, just to give some context, he had never seen the movie at this point. Okay, so he was just maybe making these assumptions that, uh, you know, as telling all these lies about him or something like that. But, uh, yeah, so he was, he was doing these constant, like, uh, videos called shame on you, um, uh, calling me a liar and a bully. And I think, uh, at, you know, at one point uh, he called me, like, a fraud and, and all types of nonsense. And he puts, like, a... Um, a uh, sort of silhouette version of my poster of like one of our first promotional posters that we did and he shoots it up and blows it up and all this craziness so a lot of people might think that like that's great promotion for room full of spoons which it was i mean it did end up getting us a lot of attention he still plays that sh- shame on you video before a lot of room screenings and stuff now and only now our fans sometimes uh, you know emailing me say oh wait a minute is, is this about you you know but uh, but it was still like kind of shocking, you know, a, a kind of shocking way to rebel against the film. Uh, you know, I, it was a point where I was getting probably four or five emails a day from Tommy asking what's in the movie, I want to see the movie and so on. So I just, I, eventually I gave in. It's like, you know what, I've been documenting this man for five years. I know a lot of things about his life, a lot of things and certain things that I'll never discuss certain things that didn't that are not in the movie. So I thought maybe I said, okay, well maybe he thinks that I talk about, you know, A, B, and C. Let, let's send him a screener so he can see it, so he can sort of have that relief that, no, this is not a negative documentary. This isn't, a, you know, something uh, a, like a full expose or, or anything like that. Like, okay, sure, we, we talk about, you know, his real name and his origins and and stuff like that but there's nothing uh defamatory about it or anything like that it's not a a two-hour mockery of tommy Wiseau or or his movie so uh i decided to send him a screener so let's let's just sort of put his mind at ease that we know i i took this responsibly and i did a good job here and uh (laughs) unfortunately he didn't think so do you think he even watched it? Pardon me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He watched it. He definitely watched it because he, he watched it thoroughly, too, because he made some crazy notes about things that he wanted to have changed in the movie and uh, all types of crazy demands that would have completely destroyed it. So, you know, so we, um, we're you know, we in a bit of a conflict about that. Uh, well, still, I mean, that, that probably won't uh, get resolved easily, but... Uh, but yeah, but I wasn't willing to, to compromise the entire movie just to, to, to please Tommy Wiseau. Unfortunately, he had that opportunity five years ago when we wanted to do this movie together. He decided that he was no longer interested. So you know, what do you expect? You can't come back five years later and say, Rick, I need you to change everything in the movie. But So you did find things
1: that you don't think you should be in the movie that are pretty bad about Tommy, that he should be, that he would be worried about.
0: Uh, yeah that he sh- that he would be worried about i don't i, w- I don't want to say the pretty bad cuz i don't want people to to make any type of assumptions that, uh you know that he's a criminal or, or anything like that but uh, like a lot of private things that uh you know that a lot of private information that came my way by not even looking for it you know you start interviewing friends and and family members and people who've interacted with them and stuff like that and he's a really interesting person, so you start asking questions, and people want to share everything that they know about a person, especially a celebrity. So, but it's my job as as uh, a as, as a filmmaker, and I guess in, in some ways as a reporter, in this case, to, uh, to to take that information and deal with it responsibly, you know. So there's a lot of things that I, I purposely kept out of the film, and that uh, no matter how you know crappy things get between Tommy and I, I would really never discuss with anyone
1: because your movie is so thorough what is something that you did miss that's not in the film that you still find fascinating about either Tommy or The Room
0: well that's the thing about Tommy is that I don't think we'll ever really get to the bottom of who he is I mean I think I got really close I think I got the closest in, in all of the people who have tried to, to do research and, and stuff like that on him before but uh, as far as what makes him tick he doesn't really see the world like you and I you know, so, uh, you know, I think just through watching The Room, it's almost like a 99 minute reflection of how Tommy sees the world. He sees nothing wrong with this movie, but the rest of the world does. You know, he sees, he thinks it's the, he thinks it's Citizen Kane. He submitted it to the Academy Awards and submitted it for a Golden Globe and all this craziness where the rest of us are thinking this, this is the biggest piece of shit in the world. You know what I mean? So, and I don't even mean that like in a, in a super disrespectful way, but it's just true that he doesn't necessarily see the world like everybody else. One thing. That I never really got to the bottom of. If I had maybe another six months of research, but I thought you know it was, it was to a point where it's getting a little bit obsessive. Is that there is a third producer now? Of course, uh, the the uh, Tommy Wiseau himself is an executive producer, and then there's Chloe Lietzky, who is an executive producer, who uh, I've you know had interactions with, and who you know we touch on. It's Chloe, an amazing story. Thank you. Yeah. It is a fascinating story. So I've, I've had a lot of interactions with her, and we tell her story uh, in the uh, in the documentary. There's a third one. There's a gentleman named Drew Caffrey, who I know uh, is deceased. As a matter of fact, he is credited as an executive producer, but it's almost like almost more of a, like an honorary title because he had died. I believe it was in 1999, which would have been uh, three years before the room was even made. So. I did a little bit of, of preliminary research on him. I know he was, you know, I believe he was in the military and, and uh, I know I found where he was buried and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, to actually get to the bottom of their relationship and, you know, I think he lived in San Francisco uh, around the time Tommy lived in San Francisco, but I never really got to the bottom of their relationship or or, or anything like that. So that's always been something that's uh, that, that's, you know, been a a bit of a mystery to me and, and where I almost feel like, not to say I, like I failed or anything like that, but to really, really like I, I, I got 99% of the way there and then I just gave up on that last kind of mystery, you know? But, um, but who knows? Maybe someone else will make a documentary one day and, and blow me away with their findings about Drew Caffrey. But, uh, but that's, that's uh, really as far as I got there. Well,
1: you can put it in your sequel. And I'm sure yeah, there you go. dying
0: for you to make. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're making this movie. Let's talk about you a little bit. Um, while you make this movie, you also have a family and you also have a regular job. Is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I uh, I, I have a regular job and I have a family a uh, wife, two kids, you know, so I, I stay extremely busy. But, um, you know, people think that it's, it's crazy to use all my vacation and travel as much as I do and do these interviews and promote the film and go to screenings and stuff like that. But, I mean, you know, some people play a lot of Xbox. Some people watch, uh, you know. Some people watch Netflix all the time. This is what I do. It's, uh, it's, it's a passion of mine. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's interesting, and you know, I get to talk to cool people like you, and uh, and you know, and and uh, you know, I really took uh, my love for the room to uh, to a whole other level, where I've uh, you know I've, I've dissected the entire thing, and and it's it's a lot of fun, you know. Also, it's always sort of been a passion of, uh, like a okay. Um, fantasy of mine to to be a filmmaker so i never went to film school or anything like that and it's uh you know some filmmakers might think that that's pretty evident by some of the uh by some of the you know the shots and some of the choices that we made in the documentary but uh, you have to keep in mind that this is you know uh this was a work in progress as well, right? Like we started this five years ago when we didn't really know what we were doing. And as you get more comfortable and get better equipment and gain more experience and talk to more people and stuff like that, then you get better at your craft. So, you know, making room full of spoons was, was, very much my film school. So it's, uh, so yeah, so I, I, I definitely stay busy over this, uh, over these five years. What do you do for work? I work for a uh, federal government uh, project manager.
1: How did this movie affect... Making this movie, your movie, affect uh, your family life or your work life?
0: Uh, my wife is is very supportive. So that's cool because, you know... Um you have to have a partner that, that can accept the fact that you're going to be traveling a lot and that you're going to be going to bed late and, and stuff like that. I mean, I deal with a lot of people in, in Europe and I deal with people in L.A. I mean, that's that's a nine-hour difference right there from where I am, you know? So I'm, you know, answering emails and, and taking calls, like, uh, pretty much around the clock. She's really supportive. She thinks that uh, that what I'm doing is really cool. Um, you know, there's, there's a few advantages for her, too. I mean, she did come to our premiere in Spain, but... Um, but uh, she she loves what I what I do and she believes in what I'm doing and uh and, and she has a lot of fun with it so I'm very fortunate in that sense you know and work life I mean I don't really talk about it so much at work it's just uh, I just take a lot of vacation and <laughs> while most people are going to Disney I'm flying to uh, to to you know Eastern Europe and uh you know sleeping in hostels and, and driving to DC that's it right so exactly and driving to DC exactly so people are like I was a White House like I don't know I was cooped up in an apartment with a bunch of lights and cameras you know. But, uh, so it's a, you know, it's, it's a, I, I, it's, it was a bit of a crazy journey, but, uh, you know, I don't regret a thing. I'm, I'm having a blast, man.
1: And you talk about Netflix and if I could just throw in a plug for your movie, it feels like a Netflix binge series. Like I don't want to say, uh, how to make a murder or whatever that was. Um, but you know how you learn about something and then the mystery just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's like a, a seven hour TV show on Netflix, down to how two and a half hours or whatever your movie is and it's so much fun to watch. How did you know you were done with the film?
0: Uh that's a really good question, man. Like when you're doing a documentary, you can't really you can't plan for it to end. If you had asked me in twenty ten, or I think we started shooting in, in twenty eleven, when this thing was gonna be done, I would have said, Ah, oh, next summer, you know, said, Oh six months, maybe a year we'll we'll be we'll be done with this thing, you know? But then the story just got bigger and bigger to a point where I put myself in the story because the making of the documentary was becoming its own kind of story with Tommy fighting back and, and with going to New York and him basically like running away from me and and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, man, like when every horror series eventually always goes to space, you know, that's how, (laughs) (laughs) that's how I felt with this. I remember I called my producer Fernando at like two in the morning and I was doing research on well, where's Tommy from? Where Tommy's from and stuff like that, and and I got really close. And I was like, okay, I think I've really pinpointed not only the country, but like the small city where he's from. So I called Fernando at like one thirty or two in the morning, and I'm like, dude, we gotta go to Europe. He's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, and I told him what I found, and he's like, all right, and we started planning for. Our trip to Europe, you know, just when we thought, like, I think we'd even announced that the movie was done. We're like, oh, we interviewed all the all the cast and the crew, and you know, we went to Hollywood, went to San Francisco, we visited all the places where the room was shot. Like, we, we interviewed fans. When we're done here, right? And then it's just like, no, our series is, is now going to space, you know. So uh, what, uh, you no, know, what what we thought was going to take maybe a year ended up taking five. But I think that's uh It's just part of you know. Of of who I am to sort of be a completist as well. I didn't want to just have like a, a half ass project or just interview a few fans or not be able to interview all of the cast, but only some of them. Like I really didn't want to give up and. The timing turned out better than ever because, you know, it's a perfect time. It's a really exciting time, actually, to be releasing the film with the, the release of uh, of James James Franco's The Disaster Artist, which is also based on The Room. And there's, so there's a whole new wave of fans and, and everyone's sort of excited about The Room again. So it's it's a really good time for us.
1: And apparently his movie is pretty amazing, too. It got great reviews in film festival.
0: So I heard, yeah, it premiered at South by Southwest and I really didn't know what to expect. But... Uh, but the reviews have been absolutely amazing. I even, you know, I think I read an article. I think it was in Variety saying that it might even be an Oscar uh, contender. So who knows, right? He finally gets his Oscar. Imagine. How do you feel about that movie coming out? Um, I'm I'm excited for it. I mean, I think it's gonna be like I said. I was I was a bit nervous at first because, um, you know, I found the movie was made kind of quickly. You know, so they'd announced a disaster artist, fantastic book by uh, Greg Sestero. You know, that they had announced that uh, that James Franco, uh, you know, had optioned the rights to it. And then they were going into production. And it almost seemed like 30 days later, they were done. So, I was like, okay. It's like, well, <laughs> right. you know, I never really knew Franco to be, um, you know, a Room fan at the time. But apparently, he, he really is. And apparently, he really knocked us out of the park. So, uh, I, I didn't know what to expect. But, I mean, Franco's a great actor. Uh, you know, look what he did in uh, you know Spring Breakers and, and stuff like that. Like he's able to just transform into other characters and stuff like that. So uh, Dan Janjigian, um, who plays Chris R, is is a friend of mine, and uh, you know I asked him about it, and he said that um, that Franco did a great job, and the movie was hilarious and heartfelt and, and everything that it, uh, it deserves to be. So I'm I'm really happy for that.
1: And let's talk about the elephant in the room, Sandy. Sandy Schlaer. Yeah, sure. What's your question? I know Sandy
0: very well. I spoke to him yesterday, actually.
1: Oh, it was great. I interviewed him a long time ago on the show. It was one of my first interviews. He couldn't be nicer. But his, he's a very nice guy, and he's actually very successful in, in Hollywood. He works all the time. I interviewed him on the set of one of his TV shows. Very gracious. But he claims that he was the actual director of The Room, not Tommy Wiseau, and he wants credit for it. What's your thought?
0: Uh, my thought is that uh, that Sandy directed The Room. I mean, it, it, you have to think that for Tommy, especially as a new filmmaker, I mean, what is a director? You know, he, he probably didn't even know what the difference between a director and a producer was, so he hires this guy to run the set for him. And, you know, if you look at the textbook definition of a director, all the work that Sandy did... It's uh, that's what a director does, you know, setting up the shots and telling the actors what to do and yelling cut and yelling action and stuff like that. There's no doubt in my mind that it's Tommy's vision. I mean, no one else could could, you know, make a movie like that. He produced it. And at the end of the day, you know, the director works for the producer. So regardless of what Sandy said, Tommy has sort of like the, the, the final word on it. But, um, but you know, from the conversations I've had with everyone who's worked on the film, with, with the actors, I think the general consensus, not everyone would agree with me, but the general consensus is that the movie would not have been done had it not been for Sandy for Sandy Chiclair. As a matter of fact, Sandy's coming out with a book called Yes, I Directed the Room, which is due out uh, probably this summer. And he's
1: a great storyteller, so I feel like... And he actually gives all the, the dirt... And answers all the questions you have when you see the movie.
0: Yeah, Sandy sort of carries the story forward because he was really there for everything. He has really good insight into to you know Tommy's personality and Tommy's intentions, and um, you know he tells some really funny stories about how he had you no know, instigated some of the funnier moments in the room because he just figured this is just another rich kid making a movie that no one else is ever gonna see. So let me just have fun here. You know, it's just sort of like my, my dream project to work on because I can do whatever the hell I want and direct it in the silliest ways. And that a lot of the of the, the, the result of what you're seeing is uh, a lot of what you're seeing is, is the result of of Sandy, like kind of sabotaging the, the, the movie, you know. So he tells some very, very funny stories. I've actually had a chance to read the book. I think I'm one of the only people who've read the book. And uh, it's, it's hilarious. And there's some great stories in there. And uh he also parallels it with um with a lot of his experience working in Hollywood. He's worked with, with almost everyone in Hollywood. He's a very, very uh successful filmmaker, so it's a, it's a great book and he's a really fascinating person. So I guess the bottom line is, yeah, if if you ask me who had directed the film, it it probably was Sandy, but whether or not Tommy knows that or, you know, I, I I mean, at the time, did Tommy even really know what a director is? That's that's kind of debatable, you know, to to see, like, were his intentions, like, malicious and saying, oh, I'm just going to hire you as a script supervisor, but you secretly direct the film for me, or is it really... Uh, you know, like the, the the fact that okay, Sandy stepped in and was just like, okay, you don't know what you're doing, so let me take over here and sort of uh, unintentionally directed the film or or something like that. And I guess that's something for the fans to uh, to to watch the movie and, and read the book and, and debate.
1: So your film is you're distributing it on your own.
0: Yeah, for the time being, we're we're self distributing. We're uh, you know still negotiating with a couple of. Um, of distributors but uh you know we worked there's already like a a real fan base for the room and stuff like that and and uh so i think that you know we might just go direct to consumer on this one so uh we have a good uh, a good rapport with the fans and and stuff like that so we're doing a pre-sale for the time being on uh, on our website that's roomfulofspoons.com. uh you can pre-order the dvd that's not to say that there won't eventually be uh an on-demand option or blu-ray or anything like that but um That's sort of the choice that we made for now is that we're going to be um, solely distributing it on uh, on DVD, um, you know, until whatever decisions are made down the line.
1: Did Tommy hurt your chances on film festivals or to get distribution?
0: Uh, Definitely. Definitely. He did. I mean, we tried. We were accepted at several film festivals, and some of those never, we never even got to attend, or never even got to, to to play the movie because Tommy would send them lawyers from letters. And I mean, excuse me, uh, letters from lawyers. And I mean, it um, it only costs what 150 bucks or something like that to get a, a lawyer to draft up a letter. But when you're a film festival, and a lot of these smaller film festivals are not operating at a major profit here, you know, so if they get a letter, they have to, you know, from a lawyer saying that we might sue you if you play this movie, uh, you know, words like uh, defamation of character and copyright infringement and stuff like that look really scary to to a film festival, so, you know, um, three or four of them actually pulled our movie from the film festival. Uh, we also had a lot of, uh, of theaters that play the room, that wanted to play Room Full of Spoons, and Tommy would send them letters saying that uh, if you play Room Full of Spoons, you'll never play The Room at your theater again. Which is a really shitty thing to do because a lot of these, I mean, the theaters that screen The Room, these are small, uh, most times are small art house theaters. So they're not, no one's getting rich here. They're just, you know, people who own these theaters are doing it because they love movies. You know, so uh, The Room is guaranteed income. They play it every single month. They have, uh, you know, 200 people that come see it every single month and uh so it's like they're not going to risk that to, to to play Rick Harper's bullshit like I can understand that you know and I can appreciate that and I'm not mad at anyone for that but it uh, it it definitely hurt us um you know it hurt us promotionally there's a lot of uh, of room fans that don't even know that we exist because you know they can't even play a trailer to our movie in in these little theaters they can't even acknowledge that our documentary exists or Tommy's going to pull the room uh, from them, And it's happened before, so I'm not, you know, making this up when he's denied it in the past, but it has 100% happened. Some theaters and some uh, venues have played the movie, and they have not played The Room since. They have not been able to play The Room since, um, you know. And then, just the fact that we have these, uh, you know, I can't really call them legal issues, because they're not legal issues, but, you know, these pending threats... It's uh it can be scary to a distributor. So uh so yeah, it it can make it it's definitely, you know, made it harder for us to get our movie out there.
1: And what's next for you? What do you want to do? Are you going to make another documentary? Are you going to make a sequel? What do you want to do now?
0: I would like to move away from the room for a little bit. <laughs> at least, you know, it's it's kind of funny how, you know, I started off being sort of obsessed with this movie and now the entire cast and a lot of the crew of the film are actually my are actually good friends of mine you know so uh I've, i'm sort of like stuck in this little world with them but um you know my passion has always really been for horror movies uh you know we made this documentary is sort of our you know introduction like my team's introduction to filmmaking but i'd like to make a more traditional uh, scripted movie I'm uh, working with my team on, uh, on a script that I wrote called High Season that we're actually going to be shooting um, next winter, either in Dominican Republic or Cuba. So we're uh, in the very early stages of that uh, right now, but that's probably what's going to be next for us. So, you know, documentaries take a very, very long time to make. And while it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and stuff like that, I mean, I, I do have other stories to tell as well. So that's, uh, that's probably what's going to be next.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much. And so people should definitely go to your website, roomfulofspoons.com to watch it and um, and contact you about doing screenings here or, you know, in their city. Um, I think you should take a chance. I think we need to buck the man. You need to resist, as we say in this country a lot. Resist Tommy Wiseau. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Thank you for making it. You can pick up Rick's movie, Roomful of Spoons, on roomfulofspoons.com. And to hear more interviews with filmmakers and actors, go to proudlyresents.com interviews on iTunes and find out more interviews of The Room at proudlyresents.com slash pod. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate you doing this. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, man. All right. If you Thank you so much to Rick for doing that interview. And if you wear a shirt, are you wearing a shirt right now, listener? Right now, are you wearing a shirt? Well, you need to wear shirts. Otherwise, you can't get served at most restaurants, if not all. So I implore you to check out proudlyresents.com slash shirts, where you can find countless hilarious and cool-looking busted tees and a lot of great Tommy Wiseau and Room-inspired t-shirts, or at least go there to look at the funny shirts like a museum. All right, right now, I know we haven't done a show in a while. I never want to be the podcast that we haven't done a show in a while, but right now I'm on hiatus from my job trying to tape a few more shows before i go back to work and before my second daughter comes in august so it's funny in the past oh thank you very much i never understood why people stopped doing their shows or zines or whatever because they have kids now i get it because i'm fucking tired um it's awesome it's all great (laughs) and anyway thank you so much if you stuck with us if you're new to the show definitely check out some of the reviews and, and interviews that we've done in the past so thanks again. If you're new, welcome. If you've been around forever, I appreciate it. And John, congratulations on your kid. And um, I'm going to cry. Anyway, check out this movie. It's fantastic. And it should be a Netflix series. I said it first. Adam, that, that, we're, we're out of time for this interview. Thanks for listening to Proudly Resents. Make a comment or suggest a film at reachadam at Mac.com. Join us on Facebook or be old school and go to our website, proudlyresents.com. If you like the show, put the episode up on your Twitter, Facebook, stumble upon, dig, you know, all those things. Tell a friend, I'm Eddie Pepitone and my Twitter account is at Eddie Pepitone.